listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week, the 19th of March to the 23rd of March. It was chock-a-block this week. Uh, Ricky Lee Erickson came in, our marine biologist from... The Melbourne Museum. Melbourne Museum, thank you very much, to talk about the immortality of marine invertebrates, about a jellyfish that lives forever, essentially. And we also had a bit of a chat about what we would do if we were gifted an extra 50 cents a day. Yeah. Uh, we talked about alternatives to using your phone all the time. What can you do with your hands other than getting on your phone? Uh, rosary beads was one of the suggestions, which led us into the Wednesday which is me having to pray the rosary <laughs> on public transport. <laughs> and we talked to Nick Martin, who was a doctor on Nauru, telling us about the conditions there. And we caught up with Lena Hale, who's a curator of the Vikings exhibition. It's on at the Mel Museum. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, yesterday we were having a bit of a chat about um, having social media on, on your phone and how addictive that can be and I would like to um, delete my social media off my oh. phone. Have you done it yet? No. <laughs> Why not? I feel like you've been saying you want to do this yes. for a long time. No, just a couple of days and oh. I'll, I'll keep Instagram. Last year. I reckon we had this conversation. Yeah, I, I'm sick maybe. of that. I believe we yeah. had it last year too. All right. Well, <laughs> I forgot about it. Um, just because it, um, it is, for me personally, it's because it's coming up to comedy festival time yeah. and it is, um, it's so hard to uh, fill in the, the days and, and the time because all the work's been done for mm. festival so it's just... And but all day you've got to wait until you get up on stage. And I and imagine quite anxiously. So you yes. need to distract your brain and yes. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, getting on Facebook or Twitter or whatever is not ideal it if you are anxious. Makes you anxious. Did you find you were more prone to getting involved in fights and stuff because you were looking for time to kill, but then. You're anxious, so... I spent a lot of time searching for me okay. <laughs> and what people were saying oh, about That is no. not good. No. That yeah. is not good. And it's bad. It's really bad. So I'm trying to find um, things that I can do to occupy myself. Oh. Here's the thing. Yeah. Why not carry a deck of cards around in your pocket mm -hmm. and then when rather than Jeff's face is looking at me strangely <laughs> rather than pull out your phone pull out a deck of cards and just learn to do different cool shuffles oh. <laughs> like or, <laughs> like a magician <laughs> with a top hat what's wrong with that learn to do different cool shuffles oh yeah sounds you know great I, mean? I yeah. don't know yeah you see people do that and card tricks practice yeah. card tricks with your hand oh yeah <laughs> I've got small hands, though. I feel like I'm... What about crafty style yes, things? Yes, well... The knitting, the croquet, the... Yeah, crochet. Cro crochet. Croquet. Oh, that's for the hammers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be a bit That'd be difficult. awesome. <laughs> I'll just knock Don't mind course. me. Just yeah. going to have a quick game of mini croquet. Yeah. Just learn some new cool croquet <laughs> tricks. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, watch, I would love to like watch cards. me while I shuffle. The cards are it's a good idea. Why? I feel like you know, oh, I, just always, as, I just associate with creepy MRA types, you yeah. know, like a pickup artist to say, hey, ladies, look at my card. Yeah. Uh, Jess could get in touch with her, you know, <laughs> men's right activist. <activists. laughs> uh, well, Kath suggested um, quilting because she's. Oh, oh, she's quilting at the moment. <laughs> oh, no. Kath, she's a ball of contradictions. <laughs> What do you mean? I just mean like Kathy's so. Uh, what's like? I just don't think of her as a person that would sit down and quilt. Oh yeah, she loves it. You know, she loves a- she loves crochet. She's there, and I thought that's a, that's probably a good idea. Is to, really are you like knitting or crochet? I'm jealous of people that can knit and just sit there and. I've tried knitting many times in my life, and yeah. it just doesn't. It's very hard. Yeah, I feel it would just make me tense. Just so get it all tangled up and in your giant hands. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have giant hands. Stop saying I do. My <laughs> hands are perfectly well shaped. I actually never thought that your hands were giant until you said it last week when we were talking. <laughs> we were calling you pancetta hands, which had always just been a reference to the rate at which you grab food, not yeah. about the size of your hands. Anyway, anyway, back, back to the craft. Carry on. Yeah, back, back to the you quilting. Know, well, maybe I'm interested in what what do our listeners do? You, oh. can, you can text us in on some suggestions on what you can do. I think it's I like to know if any of you do card tricks to pass the time. <laughs> you know some cool shuffling tricks. <laughs> if you do Maybe. card tricks, please don't contact us. <laughs> no, 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 do it. Zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven. Maybe quilting could be the go, or maybe quilting. that's someone that's Precious. calling. I don't know. There's been lots of calls coming through. I don't well, know. Well, that's fine. I always just take a risk. Okay. Bit of fun on no, a yeah. Tuesday morning. My sure. favourite thing to do. Hello, you're on Triple R. Hi, I'm just calling up about. Ideas to do with your oh, awesome. Oh, excellent. Thank God you're not a weirdo. <laughs> hey, you're on air right now. What is your idea? Origami. Oh. And I, I actually used origami to quit smoking as well. <gasps> Did so you? Just, and now it's become my habit. It's my permanent habit. You know, if you need something to do with your hands, I fold an origami crane. Is it hard? It always seems like it would be really hard. It's so easy, and I've taught so many people how to make it. It's and they're, 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 they're fun as well and they're beautiful. You can leave them around at different places and give them to people. Oh, my kids. God, you, you'd be so impressive. You could be – that's that your signature, like a murderer, a except that you killer. leave a – yeah. <laughs> I actually have a tattoo on my arm that I used to smoke with. <laughs> the, the instructions of how to fold an origami crane. Oh, that's so cool. That is awesome. Can you do more than cranes or is it just the one thing? No, no, just the one thing. Oh. I haven't had a else. Well, see, that's what I'm on, on board with is the idea of learning origami. I've tried origami and it gets too hard and I go, I don't know the next step. I don't know what that step means. But if I learn one thing and you yeah, just do okay. it that again and again, love it. Yep. Mate, that is... I've a- thousands of them. Hey, <laughs> that is a good suggestion. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've tried crochet as well and I can't do it either. Yeah. No, <laughs> no I'm on board hard. with you. Origami, oh, yes. Oh, thanks, mate. No worries. See ya. Bye. That is actually a really good suggestion. I just love the idea that she's leaving little things little behind. Little things behind. Everywhere yeah. she goes. Just like Digger leaving his leaves behind. Yes. You to could walk into life. a room and be like, I sense that someone's been here. And then you look around and there's a there's a swan, an origami swan. And you know yeah, that it's, it's Geraldine. It does have connotations to horror movies. So it does a little bit. Well, if you present it that way. <laughs> there we go. So that's what I'll do. I'll learn some cool shuffling tricks. Some, uh, <laughs> someone's texted in to say you can learn a language on Duolingo. Oh, yeah, oh. I was doing that. Yeah, but the and thing then, is it keeps you on your phone, doesn't it? So you're like one thumb away from social media. It's hard. I yeah, but also, I was, um, you have to, 
speak out loud in public. This is things that I would like to do in public as well. Like if I'm sitting around, like sitting on a tram but or something like that. you wouldn't be embarrassed. Like um, yeah. Dominoes? What? You, what? Too complicated? No, you can't do it. Don't. Playing dominoes? Like on a miniature board? Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of games. Yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to turn her into some sort of weird eccentric. <laughs> cool shuffling <laughs> tricks <laughs> and dominoes. This is, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Triple R. You're listening to Breakfasts. It is Wednesday. It's time for Wednesday. I've been waiting for this Aww. all day, oh. all yesterday. <laughs> the best bit of everyone's week, <laughs> yeah. except when you're the one who's been dead. <laughs> yeah, and that's me this week. So yesterday during the show we talked about um, things that you can do um, with your hands so you don't get on your phone all the time. Yes, yeah. and lots of good suggestions. <laughs> things to fidget. So you can fidget. Yeah. Instead of it, not a fidget spinner though. I don't understand those fidget spinners. Neither do I. They don't. They are very unsatisfying. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. I want to. I want to keep on spinning in it, but I can't. Anyway, yeah. it's funny no one suggested them. Yeah, because they're over now. I think they were yeah. big for like a couple of months. Just didn't even our listeners suggest all kinds of strange things. <laughs> I mean, no fidget yeah. spinners. No, just cool card shuffling tricks. <laughs> that was just you. Uh, anyway, so but one person rang up and suggested um, rosary beads. Yes. So um, my idea was to sit on public transport with some rosary beads <laughs> and say the rosary. Um, Quite obviously, too. It had to be kind of public. You couldn't just hide. Yeah. Yeah, I had to... Well, you said just to mumble the rosary out loud. <laughs> Not shout at the top of your lungs. No. <laughs> uh, so, I, um, first, my first um, part of the day was to get some rosary beads. I unfortunately do not have rosary beads, blessed by Saint... Oh, no, she's not a saint, is she? She will be soon. Yeah. Mother Teresa. That'll push blessed the value by, up. Mm. I know. <laughs> uh, so d- didn't have any any lying around yes. the house. Um, so, But thankfully I live around the corner from a St Vincent de Paul. Oh. And they sell them, do they? Of course they would. Think of how many old people stuff they have in there. Mm. I don't even really know what they look like, to be honest. What? Uh, you don't know what rosary beads look like? No. Were you born on Mars? No, he's just born not in a Catholic for, house. Yeah, like, just, they're so iconic in terms of like being seen throughout. So I'm sort of picturing popular kind of culture. Nicholas, is that sort of what it's yeah. like? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what rosaries look like. You're mm. lying. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> some... We grew up in very different <laughs> worlds. But like, it's not just, I reckon you could have grown up non-Catholic and you know what rosaries look like. Yeah. Look, Are they coloured? Yeah, they can be. Like, yes. oh, I know what the Archbishop of Canterbury looks like, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I don't It's not really it. think <laughs> It wasn't like a big figure in my life. <laughs> oh, the Archbishop. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's there's, you know, row of beads and then there's um, beads that go all around it. Um, and you move them around. It's so no, no, it's like it's little beads and big beads. Yeah. There's like ten, as you, they have the cross and then a big bead and then three little beads and then a big bead and then like another like um, thing in the middle and then that joins all the other beads. It has big bead, ten little beads, big bead, ten little beads. And yeah. there's five... And then there's a cross that hangs off the end. Yeah. And that's the most exciting bit when you get to the cross. Because it means you've it's finished. Over. <laughs> huh. So um, it had been uh, a long time since I'd um, 
prayed the rosary. So you found you found your beads? Oh, yeah, yeah. Went in. Um, they had heaps of beads. There you go. Have a look at those. I'm showing Jeff what they look Ooh, like. They sort of had necklaces from the 70s. I don't believe. Um, that and were, when you went in there, were there, were there many to choose from? Uh, there was a few different ones, but I kind of wasn't really fussed about which ones to get. I just went, oh, they'll do. And so they I got some so, green. They must have been so pleased. Yeah. Glow in the dark? Oh, man, I had one of those There's so once. many glow in the dark rosary beads. Yeah. It's very yeah. handy for night time. Um, <laughs> but I grabbed some, like, these green, like, plastic ones, paid 50 uh, cents, and off, off I went. Um, Bargain. Yeah, 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 it was good. Uh, and so then I um, I got on the bus and uh, I had to go into the, into the city, so I was sitting on the bus um, and I sat... Um, Kind of on on the on the side bitch. Oh so, yes, yeah. Because it was there wasn't many people on the bus, and oh. they were all you know kind of sitting up the back. And I thought, well, if if I've got my back to them, they're not gonna. I'm just gonna look like someone mumbling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so common, it's true. The common yeah. side on yeah. the bus. So I had to like sit. So I sat profile so like everyone could I see. I thought you did this. What I could do. So what I was doing. So I sat there and. I had to look up how to pray the rosary again. Yeah, right. And it's amazing how, how, like, I haven't said the Hail Mary for many years. Yeah. But it's still there. Mm. It's still there. Mm. So, but basically you you pray, um, it's the um, the glory be for the big, for the big oh, bead. I knew there was no, some fun gonna, prayer. Mm. You're going to have to spell this out. So what, what do you, so you're sitting on the bus, you've got your beads mm-hmm. and what are you, you have them around your neck? Or? No, no, no. You never wear them around your neck. You have them, you hold them, you can keep them in your pocket and stuff or anyway, but you hold them in your hand and you hold it, uh, you, you've got, you hold it in the big beat and as you're holding it, um, you say, the, do the glory be to the Father. Um, and so it's a small prayer. And then you move it up or something. Yeah, and then you move on to the next beat and the ten small beads, you pray ten Hail Marys. Mm. It goes forever. Yeah. And then you do Our Father for the... And then you, you say, glory be uh, the ten Hail Marys, glory be ten Hail Marys, and then you get around. And, and the three ones b- with the cross, it's like um, you go in Our Father, three Hail Marys, and then Our Father again, I think. It's, just it's like of- the Catholic Church made it up to distract kids when they were bored. Yes. It's, so it's they, basically yeah. it's a form of meditation. Yeah. And when you, when you do it, you can go quite some people go quite quickly and it just becomes quite kind of quite methodic and, you know, but, you know, you just go through it all. Uh, um, I once prayed the rosary and, and fell asleep and then came back to it and no one noticed. So, uh, but I didn't do that. So I was just sitting there praying the rosary. I got a few kind of um, strange looks. The, the bus driver kept on looking in his revision mirror. Were you saying it out loud? How were you saying it? Was it yeah, like give us a preview. I was going, uh, how many people And were you, did you have your eyes open or closed? Bit of both. Well, obviously, uh, I had to, you know. Are you supposed to have your eyes closed when you do it? No, 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 you Doesn't don't matter. have to. It's just, you know, imagine you're meditating. Yeah. Would you, like, you yeah, can be either you eyes back open. and forth? <laughs> well, no, I should have done that. <laughs> uh, channeling Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so I, and I, I did that and I got off the bus and that was it. I can't oh. believe it. What would you have done if someone had got on the you EU? can't believe it because I didn't do it. Sorry. Didn't you? <laughs> nah, I made all that up. Oh, <laughs> I can't 
do that. Wednesday. I got sucked in. I got too busy, mate. I just... I can't believe this. We're staring open mouth. I just, this I can't is a betrayal. Believe this. It is a full betrayal. Anyway, the, sorry, I didn't get time to oh do Oh my god, I hate you. I actually hate you. Three triple. You're listening to you're listening to breakfasters. Smack up. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I started another conversation about 10 seconds before we are going back on air. That's right. Here we are. Uh, I don't know if there's a um, story in the paper um, about new start allowance has been increased. Which That's is, good news. Yeah, it's great Isn't news. It? Yeah, well done. Uh, um, it's 50 cents a day, so <laughs> well done. <laughs> Uh, Go wild. Yeah. Now, in this story, it, um, it asks the question, you know, what, if anything, can you buy for 50 cents a day? So that is – so it's 50 cents a day for seven days a week, right? Yeah. Okay. A, a total of $7 to the base fortnightly payment. Okay. So the fortnightly payment is $545.80. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's not much. Three fifty um, a week. So in this story – um, they talked about going to the supermarket and seeing what, if anything, that you could buy for, for 50 cents. Oh. Um, and it, it's not much. Can you even buy Tic Tacs for 50 cents anymore? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Well, they they were a bit more um, uh, sensible about it, oh. went to the fruit and veg section. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Try to eat out your dog. You stuff payments on Tic Tacs. <laughs> Not too many calories in a Tic Tac. Literally, my brain only went to lollies. I'm such a child. That's so still. funny. Yeah. What did I? Why did my brain? Yeah, I didn't go to. Oh, they went to. They thought a bread roll to begin with. That's very smart. Yeah. Um. Except, they there weren't any individual bread rolls oh. to no. sale. Hot cross bun for a dollar was yeah. the best I could find. Or a muffin. You usually, can get individual uh, rolls yeah, at supermarkets. I suspect they might have gone to an inner city Sydney. Yeah, supermarket. Right. Oh, yeah, I need to feel. head down to Aldi. Yeah, yeah, or just your local Woolworths. Yeah, you know, you can get a roll get at Aldi. You probably get a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, because you know, even the fruit and, and veg was quite expensive. Like the the only fruit that you could get or vegetable, there was you could get a plum. Um, or a kiwi fruit for 50 cents or a pear or a carrot. What about you put through two bananas as brown onions? Oh. Oh. No, I'm not encouraging no. that at all. No, don't do that. Do not do I that. I did that by mistake the other day. Oh, by and mistake. I got busted. By oh, mistake. Jeff. What did they say? No <laughs> they, one mistakenly hits brown onions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, 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 I just did it on the wrong. Oh, there's one of those things like where you've got to identify it as white nectarines or something nectarines or whatever, yeah. and I'd done it as the wrong one and there was someone staring over my shoulder. Are you for real, though? Just, it was just the type of nectarine that they had an issue with. No, Might you put nectarines <laughs> through his brown <laughs> onions, didn't you? Anyway. Or was it peppers? There's a big price difference between red and green peppers. I noticed that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and onions too. Yes. The red onions are significantly more expensive even yes. though they're better. Which is why the brown onions are... <laughs> I'm not involved uh, in these criminal schemes. <laughs> no, I'm not encouraging that at all. Um, anyway, so I th- think that, yes, you should try and buy some fruit and vegetables and it's very sensible yeah. to, to try and buy. But an extra 50 cents a day, I did have a look on a, a website because um, I just Googled um, like 
what's some what's some good stuff you can buy for fifty cents? I googled that as well just yeah. before. <laughs> Did you get to a, um, a website uh, frugal? Sorry, uh, uh, frugal fatigue and fifty cent treats. No. Mm, okay, so oh, I found that. I can't believe someone's made a website of this, but all right. Uh, oh, it's this is just on like it's like a blog. So okay, it's just oh, one sure. particular blog about what you can you know um, some little treats you can get for fifty cents or even. Nothing. Um, so here's a good one. Uh, put your feet up. Um, you could uh, fill a container with hot water, add a little baking soda and soak your feet for 10 minutes. Oh, that's a <laughs> good, nice, good idea. So all these unemployed people. Who put your feet up. Soaking their feet <laughs> lying around. I mean, you've been walking looking around for, all day. You can yeah. buy some baking soda. The government's so kind. Oh, isn't it? Baking soda. If you had some uh, vinegar at home, you could make a volcano. Yeah. Also, I don't know how much baking soda is. I don't know if you can get... For 50 cents. Yeah, you might have to... You can buy by the pinch, can you? No. Yeah, it's not the oldie times. You might have to wait until... (laughs) You go to the apothecary. (laughs) (laughs) You might have to wait until the end of the week to get your... To you know, oh, right. save save up for, to buy, and so but then it's there. Three dollars fifty. It's there all the time. <laughs> you can just be soaking all mm. week. Oh, have it. This one, this one's free. Um, uh, shop in your own wardrobe. Oh. So this is instead of splashing oh. out on a new outfit, dig so out the old, <laughs> dig out all of the old clothing and jewellery you haven't worn in ages, and and have fun mixing and matching them up with. Oh God. This so actually sounds like a speech that Joe Hockey would have given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the yeah. worst suggestion. Yeah. Get a good job. Go shopping yeah. in your own wardrobe. Or how about this? Um, this is so depressing. <laughs> you want to you save money to buy a house? It's easy. Go bananas. Make banana splits with real ice cream. None of the... Oh, light stuff. What does that say? Sorry, I can't. I've lots of contact lenses. So I can't read anymore. And savor every mouthful. That's you can't do that. What do you for 50 mean, make a banana split for fifty cents? Yeah, no, well, that's no, you can't do, do that. that. What's on a banana split? Unless you're sort of just getting the banana sort of yeah. falling off the. I think they're assuming that you've already got uh, a lot of things. So what about you post? I know it costs a dollar for a stamp now, doesn't it? Yeah, you can't even buy a stamp. Well, what about you save up two fifty cents and post a letter every second day? Yep. To a relative asking them for money. Oh yeah. yeah, or or you or you could um, go through all your um, you know things around the house and think like washing powder, and then write a letter to the washing powder company saying, "Hey, oh. <laughs> my washing powder is not that great," and then they'll send you free, more free washing powder. Get a cockroach and put it in everything. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. Then you yeah. write to them and say, "Look at the yeah. cockroach in my peanut butter." Actually, or maybe you could. <laughs> You could write a letter and you could post it in that post box that you were telling us about. The in one Beechworth. That, in Beechworth. The one it that goes never, nowhere. The one that never gets collected. It yeah. wouldn't need stamp at all. Yeah. Gee, but when you thought about that, didn't you think about going, I just thought go to the milk bar and how much mixed lollies you could buy. Yeah. Oh, f- yeah. What would I do with 50 cents? Yeah. I thought about, um, yeah, wait until the end of the week and buying something. Yeah. But yeah, chocolate curly whirly. How much are they now? Oh, like a buck. Oh, jeez. <laughs> to try and buy half of one. Super, like the super f- duper? They don't oh. sell them individually, do they? No, they don't. I think it's Unless illegal. Unless you school canteen. One of those special milk bars where they sell cigarettes singly. <laughs> 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 they don't exist. Oh, you determined to <laughs> send a cigar. Life How do you know about that? <laughs> Nothing's between me and Mr. Jones down the street. <laughs> 
three triple R. You're tuned to Triple R, listening to Breakfasters with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Nick Martin is a GP and an author, including of a fascinating piece in the forthcoming edition of Mianjin entitled The Nauru Diaries, about his time working with asylum seekers in Nauru. Welcome to Breakfasters. Morning. How? Let's start with the background. How did you end up working in Nauru? You were in the army originally? I was in the Navy, the Navy. Royal Navy. And then I came across to Australia about six years ago. And I was working as a GP up in Armadale, up in New South Wales. And I did that for a few years. And then I saw a job advert for working offshore with refugees. And I thought that sounded like quite an interesting change. And so I didn't really have any preconceptions about the idea. But uh, yeah, I thought I'd give it a go. And so in 2016, the end of 2016, I went across to Nauru to be the senior medical officer there. Okay, most Australians probably have very little idea of what Nauru is like. It's quite difficult to get there, aside from anything else. So give us a description. What What is Nauru like as an island? What are conditions like both for the detainees and the people on the island? Okay, well, Nauru's got a fascinating history. and it's um, So it's a very small island. It's smaller than uh, Telemarine Airport. It takes about 20 minutes to drive around. It's in the middle of the uh, Pacific. It's one of the Micronesian islands. It's um, famous for being the richest and now one of the poorest countries in the world. So back in, I think, the 80s, it was... the you were richer than anywhere in the, in the Gulf or the um, Arab states because of all the phosphate it had. And it's been mined for 20 or, well, 40 or 50 years by Australians and Germans and the English. And so now 90% of Nauru is basically a moonscape where all the phosphate's gone. And they, they think that's from all the guano over, over years and years. So that's all gone. And so most people in Nauru live on a very small rim around, around the outside of the island. Um, there's a coral reef there. It's white sandy beaches. It's right on the equator. And so it's um, pretty standard uh, Pacific Island. So it sounds like paradise. And it used to be called Pleasant Island. Wow. Oh. Okay. And you're working with detention, uh, asylum seekers in the detention centre, treating their medical conditions. What comes through again and again in your piece, you describe seeing people with simple injuries and realising they weren't going to be able to get the treatment that they needed. Yes, that was um, the main thing, really. But the, the facilities on, on Nauru, the hospital, which they call a RON, is pretty basic. The staff are um, of variable quality. And uh, it, the main thing was that anything you had that was re- remotely um, difficult or complicated to uh, investigate or treat, you just couldn't get people off the island. And that's because the Australian government don't want these people to go to Australia for treatment. Uh, the other option, sending them to Papua New Guinea, wasn't really ideal. The hospital there is not too good either. And so a lot of the time we'd be saying, this person needs investigation or needs treatment somewhere else. And we came up against a brick wall every time with that. Was there ever a time when the government backed down on that and you were able to get someone yeah, yeah. flown out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, 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 it took a, a lot of time. If you had someone who was absolutely at death's door, then if it was a real emergency, then they would relent after numerous phone calls and emails to try and get an air ambulance out there. But a lot of the people who had chronic conditions, so stuff like diabetes or um, uh, chest pain, angina, people who've got uh, chronic bad backs or have got knee injuries, anything musculoskeletal or kidney stones, the kind of thing that normally you'd expect to get treated within about a month or so back in Australia, they just languish there for for months and months and years. And so with diabetes, for example, you get all these complications and so people were losing their sight solely because the Australians would not let them 
leave Nauru to go and get seen by a specialist. I guess the extension of that too, which you discuss, is these physical injuries then becoming mental injuries as well. Yeah, the mental health uh, burden, so to speak, of these people mm. is massive. And if you take, just for argument's sake, 50 staff, medical staff employed by the Australians, and about 35 of them would be mental health. And the longer people stay in mouldy tents in Nauru or maybe a, a leaking porter cabin, their mental health issues just well, didn't go away and got worse and worse and worse. Uh, one of the things I did not realise until I read your piece that abortion was is illegal in Nauru. You were dealing with um, pregnant women with psychological and social problems who were coming to you. What options could you offer them? Absolutely none. At the uh, they changed the rules at one point. They've since revoked it because there was a big uproar about it. But uh, the bottom line was. Because of, uh, terminations are illegal in Nauru and also in, in Papua New Guinea, it meant that if a lady did want a, a termination, because let's say she's been raped by someone or something like that and she wanted a termination, in the past they'd go to Australia and have the termination there. But that was seen as being a way of people getting to Australia under the radar, so to speak, because often they'd get to Australia and put an injunction or lawyers would get involved and put an injunction and prevent them to leave again. And so I, I believe the Australian government tries to turn that tap off by saying, no, 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 if you're a refugee, you're now Nauru to all intents and purposes, and so you can't get a termination, which was awful for these ladies, you know, absolutely denying them a right to choose. Uh, one of the things that's also struck me about Australian refugee policy is how damaging it is, not just for asylum seekers, but for the, 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 the countries or the places in which those asylum seekers are, are put. And that really comes out in your piece as well, that Nauru now is very dysfunctional for the Nauruans. Yeah, it, it's horrible, really. I think if, you, um, if you're Nauru and you're a proud Nauru and, and you should be, it's, you know, it's a sovereign country. And if, if, you, if you Googled Nauru nowadays, you'd just see environmental disaster, um, prison camps, Deaf Island, you know, no one wants to see their country like that. And it's embarrassing for Australia as well. You know, if you look at all the organisations who are roundly condemning Australia, you know, the UNHCR, any political organisation you'd, you'd care to mention, Amnesty International, the international field, just, just think that what Australia is doing is disgusting. Yeah, and the government keeps trying to lock down information coming out of these places as well. How did you did you feel the reality of that when you were working there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you, everything you did was going to be monitored. Um, that, there's no journalists allowed in Nauru. They've let two in over the last five years um, on very sort of heavily monitored trips. And you get the feeling if if they're so proud of what they're doing or if they've got no problem with it, let some journalists go in. They won't let that happen because it is disgusting. Mm. And certainly the... The pressure to not speak to anyone outside, um, anyone back in Australia to do what I'm doing now was huge. You know, there's a border force out, people being threatened with imprisonment just for speaking out about what's happening. How are you not being <laughs> Well, they have got an exemption for doctors because in the end, you um, in the Border Force Act, because your, your duty as a doctor kind of trumps your duty to um, the organisation you're employed by. And so after a while, we all tried to you know do the right thing and stick to your... You know, stick to the what they ask you to do. You know, do your job and not speak to anyone else. But after a while, what I saw, I thought, I, I can't say nothing. This is just disgusting. And so I did start speaking out. Yes, having been in like, embedded right in there with all that bureaucracy, what do you think it would take for any party in this, our government, to change the way that they're approaching offshore refugees? Well, I think. Just from a basic humanity point of view, someone has to turn around to a grower set and say, we got it wrong. You know, we've created this beast for whatever reason. And the Labour Party, I believe, restarted offshore detention. Also, the Libs did it, you know, 10 years previously. You just have to say, we've got it wrong. 
enough's enough. And you can still turn your boats back. You can still patrol the seas and you can still control your borders. But leaving, you know, there's a couple of thousand people, I think it's 150 kids still stuck in Nauru in detention. Leaving them there for indefinite periods of time is just vile. Mm. You know, you're using them as political pawns and that's just not fair. That's criminal. And it's hard because it seems like they're just doubling down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they are. They've changed the rhetoric and so they've managed to conflate. I think there's 200,000 people who come to Australia every year, you know, as, as migrants, so to speak. And yet people seem obsessed by the 2,000 odd people on Manus and Nauru, you know, who, who are trying to seek asylum. And that's not the case. You know, using these guys as, as pawns and saying, oh, this is preventing the people smuggling business. It's just a specious argument that's been shown to be completely wrong time and time again. Mm-hmm. Are you still in touch with people in Nauru? I mean, what do you think will be the consequences of you speaking out now? I'm hoping it does shine a bit of a light on on areas where the government don't want you know don't want a light to be shone. Um, certainly, with individual cases where they do get into real you know real difficulties, and no one's pushing them to get off, and they're just stuck in this you know in, there's so much inertia there. But I'm hoping that um, it does raise awareness, and so we can say, what's this person still doing here? You know, so you're speaking out for people who can't speak out for themselves. The essay is entitled The Nauru Diaries. It's in the forthcoming edition of Mianjin, which is out on the 19th of March. We've been talking to its author, Nick Martin. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks a lot for having me. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Time for Feature Creatures here on Breakfasters. And today, as part of our nautical theme, we're joined by Ricky Lee Erickson, the marine biologist from the Melbourne Museum. How are you going? Good. How are you? Very Good. well. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's great. Um, we're talking about marine invertebrates. Yes. So marine invertebrates are animals without backbones. Um, so they include oysters, jellyfish, corals, sea stars, lobsters. A lot of them don't have faces. They're just kind of the blobby things in the ocean. Oh. Um, but a lot of them are actually considered or hypothesised to be immortal. So, is an octopus an invertebrate? Yes, it is. Yeah, you say that. Okay. So that I didn't say that. That oh, one's that's one that I'm not going to talk about today so okay. much because they have a kind of set life st- life cycle. But um, so they are really smart and yeah. Okay, let's special. just go back to the immortality thing. Yes, that seems yes, like yes. kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely immortal, like they genuinely live forever. Yeah. So there's one. So when you're talking about marine invertebrates and their life cycles and sexual reproduction, you kind of need to throw everything you know about land animals and take it, throw it out the window because it's not really relevant in the ocean. Um, so one of the main sort of most known cases of immortality in the marine um, ecosystem is Turritopsis dornii, which is the immortal jellyfish. So this awesome. is yeah, this jellyfish is um, found in the Mediterranean. It's about the size of your pinky fingernail, so it's really small um, and it's translucent with a bright red stomach, so quite pretty. Um, They're very simple animals, um, no brain, no heart, just one opening with food and waste coming out of that same same opening. What do you mean no brain, no heart? How do they live? Nerve cells, I guess it's very simple because they're so small, they don't really need those organs to... Everything that you know, throw it out the window. Throw it away. Okay, it's gone. So the way these um, jellyfish come, so start their life, is a male jellyfish will release its sperm into the the water and some of those will float up into a female and then they create a little larvae that will go swim out into the ocean. And that larvae will find a little bit of surface to attach to and then from that it will create a colonial a colony of polyps basically and they're all identical to each other 
And this forms sort of like a coral-like structure, which um, branches out. And then off that structure, the little jellyfish will bud off that and then <gasps> swim away into the ocean. Whoa. So that's how the life starts. Um, now, most of these jellyfish will just reproduce and die as normal. But some of them, when they uh, encounter environmental stress or um, injury or something like that, um, they actually have the ability to revert back to their juvenile stage, that colonial stage, by changing the, their cells. So it's cells, cell transdifferentiation, which means one cell is converted to another. So it's like a stem cell. This, and a skin cell, skin cell, for example, could turn into a nerve cell. So their tentacles retract, they shrink, and then they float back down to the bottom and start that colonial phase. It's like a Benjamin again. Button kind yes. of. Yes. And yeah, it's wow. the Benjamin Button of jellyfish. And they've done it in the lab and they'll just keep doing this. So it's potentially. Um, they could do it forever. Yeah, they, yeah, they can so just keep going. So once in the wild, if you get one out of the ocean, is it possible that it's been alive for a thousand years? Exactly. But because they're soft tissue, it's not really, can't really tell how old they are. Also, we've never really seen it in the wild happening. So it's only in lab settings that they've discovered this. So they discovered the jellyfish back in the early 1900s, but it wasn't until someone tried to culture them in the lab that they discovered that they had this amazing ability in the late 90s, I think. Wow. That's, wow. Uh, do they ha- I mean, you said that they're very simple. They don't have brains and they don't... Do they have anything like intelligence? It's really hard to tell. Probably not. They're probably just floating around and, you right. know, just eating, that sort of thing. What a lot. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's <laughs> the only backside to this is that it can't really stop you from getting eaten by a fish. So they are still very much mortal beings that can be killed, but it just depends on certain whether the injury is fatal enough for this process to occur. And is there, does this occur in any of the other invertebrates? Yeah, so there's a few other examples. So... Ming, she was an Icelandic clam and she lived to about 507 years old. Sounds oh like a Beatles song already. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, Ringo with Signella. Yeah. <laughs> she was named Ming because um, she was named after the Chinese Ming dynasty, which was in power oh. when she was alive. Um, so scientists were just out collecting um, invertebrates out on the seashore and they picked up this oyster and they tried to age it by opening up the shells and they accidentally killed it. So uh-huh. when they accidentally killed it, they brought it back to the lab and actually tried to age it. And as an oyster grows, it has growth rings in the, in the shell. So you can actually count them. But this is very difficult because you're talking about 500 layers in just millimetres of space. So it's quite difficult, but they can do it. So they aged this clam to be 507 years old um, by counting these <gasps> rings. And that was... And its life wasn't ended naturally. So yes. who knows how... There's a big question mark on how long these oysters Shame can that they live. killed it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but there's thousands of these on the sea. So it's just very lucky that they happened to pick up one that was extremely old. Um, also corals. They found corals can live really, really long times. Um, so one genus, Leopathies, has been aged to be about 4,265 years old. Whoa. Yes. So this is, when we talk about coral, it's a colony. So it's not just one individual. It's thousands of individuals that make up one animal. So, and they have different, um, different animals are modified into different sort of structures. So some might be for feeding and some might be for sexual reproduction, but they all work as one. So you kind of have to alter the way you think about an animal as an individual when you're talking oh. about these colonial animals. Yeah, because why... Um what is it that makes coral an animal and not a plant? So it's 
in the so there's two ki- well there's a few kingdoms mm-hmm. so one is um, the plant kingdom yep. one is the animal kingdom um, plants make their energy from the sun so photosynthesis and animals use so they eat other things okay. to get their energy yeah oh, so, so that's that correlates the main difference yeah so they don't use sun they don't use the sun for their energy. Is one of the big differences, but there's obviously multiple differences. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. yeah. Now, the last time you're talking about the Icelandic shark, I asked you this question. I don't want to seem like a psycho, but I'm <laughs> going to ask you again. Just because we're obsessed with aging and immortality as humans, is there anything that we've derived or learnt from these uh, immortal beings that we are trying to apply to ourselves? Like, yeah. are we extracting cells or something from them and? Injecting themselves. And injecting yeah. them to our faces. I don't know. <laughs> so that jellyfish that I talked about just before, they're mm. using that in ageing and pharmaceutical research I at the knew moment. It. Yeah, so they're they're on that they're on that bandwagon. Um with so one with lots of other animals, so they have this amazing ability to regenerate tissue. So sea stars, for example, if they lose an arm or if a flatworm is cut into two, they can actually regrow back that tissue. And um oh. that's because they have uh these really this really great ability to activate their telomeres, which are which is something that we have. So at the end of your DNA, there's a cap of protective um, sort of strand that's mm. called a telomere, and it's kind of likened to the hard bit at the end of a shoelace. So it protects the DNA, mm. keeps it all together. An, an aglet. Yes, yes. So well you, done. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that was what it's called, <laughs> but thank you. Um, so every time the the DNA replicates, we lose a little bit of that telomere and it slowly becomes shorter and then eventually the cells aren't able to replicate anymore um, which is how why we age but some of these animals actually have the ability to actively maintain that protective cap and they can it can pretty much go on replicating forever so that's that's one really cool thing that they're kind of looking at as well for anti-aging oh, sort of research. Do we all need an aglet on our yes, DNA? Yes, exactly. Or well, we need one that we can keep extending as yeah. we... Yeah. And do any of these creatures do anything good with their lives? I mean... Oh, it's <laughs> a bit rough. <laughs> Jeff, do they write a book? What do you mean? Oh, well, this one that just floats around. So it has got a brain and it's got a heart. I mean, <laughs> so that one's actually kind of... <laughs> That immortal jellyfish is kind of seen as a bit of a bad guy because they are really good biological invaders. So they actually have travelled all around the Northern Hemisphere in ballast water, which is the water that ships uptake um, when they're going from place to place to maintain their balance, to maintain their float. So they've been actually quite a big issue with their invasion capabilities is quite high. Super villains. But most, speaking mostly about marine invertebrates, they all have an integral role in the ecosystem. There's so many different marine invertebrates and marine animals in the ocean and they all have a really important role to play. If you start, um, sort of take one out, then kind of everything falls to pieces. So, yeah, they are quite important, whether it's providing... So corals provide a ecosystem, like a habitat for other animals to grow onto. Um, other animals might provide a food source. That sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah so they've really got important. stuff going yeah. on. Right? <laughs> and, you know, like the jellyfish, like the blue bottles that like, get stung by at the beach here, yeah. do they have similar lifespans or are they just so most, same old? Yeah, most jellyfish, after they grow up to that sexual um, reproductive stage, after they reproduce, they re- release all their eggs and sperm. That's when they die normally, but it's mm. just that this one, Turritopsis, is for some reason has that incredible capability to revert yeah. back to its juvenile self. 
Yeah, cool. That is kind of amazing. Um, fascinating. We've been talking to Ricky Lee Erickson from the Melbourne Museum. Really, really interesting. We'll see you again soon. Thanks. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. This Friday, the Melbourne Museum is opening a new exhibition entitled Vikings Beyond the Legend. To tell us all about it, we're joined by curator and project manager, Lena Hale. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This exhibition is advertised as giving the real story behind the myths about the Vikings. So let's start with some of the facts about the real Vikings. When we're talking about Viking civilization and culture, what period are we talking about? What places are we talking about? Well, the the period is something around 750 to 1100 AD. That is what we characterize as the Viking Age. And where in the world it's it's the uh, core area is the Scandinavian countries of today, because then it's the, these countries didn't exist that time, but but that area is where they they lived, so to speak. But they um, their world grew during this period, and they settled and uh, travelled and raided uh, in great parts of the world, st- big parts of, of of Europe, of course, and also as far away as to Newfoundland, Greenland, Iceland, and f- to the east to um, Russia, and all the way down to. Constantinople, which is wow. Istanbul today, oh, wow. and Northern Africa, and so on. So they had uh, a big world at that time. Oh, when we're talking about the myths about the Vikings in the English-speaking world, of course, the biggest myth, well, the big, the biggest perception of the Vikings is in terms of raiding and pillaging. How central was raiding to to Viking culture? Well, to start with, I would like to say that Vikings, that's not an ethnical group in any way. They, it was not a special kind of people. Uh, Viking is more an activity mm. to go on Viking and doing that you were a Viking. And uh, people could do that part time of their life, but most people were farmers or living at farms. That was the, the, the main thing people did at that time. And uh, of course, Everybody did not go away on these long But of course, that is the things that we remember today because it's very interesting and intriguing about these long, long travels away. More exciting to hear about that than farming. Yeah. Yeah. But that is one of the things we are trying to to tell more about in the exhibition and that it was not that dull and grey and cold and boring living that time. The society in... in, um, in that time in Scandinavia, living in, in big farms and, and going around having quite big networks with people living in, in other parts of Scandinavia was um, not that primitive as we could imagine. So we have a lot of, of really good uh, objects showing that life could be quite comfortable and nice, even if uh, it was not that for all. Everybody living there, of course. Um, one thing that is different from today is that you could say that the, the Viking Age society had three main groups of people. It was the aristocracy, of course, having networks all over the world. And then were all the, the free men and women living at farms, owning farms and so on. And then a huge part of the population that were unfree and unfree in different ways. So that was maybe a very harsh way of living. You have some pretty cool artefacts as well at the exhibition, uh, one of which is 
kind of like a Thor's hammer. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, there are several Thor's hammers, of yeah. course. And, and Thor's hammers is, um, that is one of these symbolic um, artifacts that are connected with one of the gods. You know, the the kind of religion people believed in. It, it was not a religion. It was more like a, a belief, the old North uh, beliefs. Um, there were lots of gods. They were very pragmatic at that time. They had gods for whatever they needed to have gods for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Thor was one of them, one of the mighty ones. And he had a hammer called Mjölnir, and the myth is that when he used that to to force giants or to to good to do good things, he went in a carriage over the sky, and uh, then he used the hammer, and that was the thunder and lightning. Mm. Ah. Uh, one of the other myths, I guess, about Vikings is we tend to think about in terms of male warriors, but this exhibition emphasizes that women actually played an important role in Viking society. Yeah. Surprise! At that time, fifty <laughs> percent of, of of people were women, as today. So, of course, they had uh, an important role. But that is again, when we are talking about free men and, and women. Uh, for the unfree, it does didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. It was not very nice anyway. But uh, free women could have um, uh, maybe uh, a, a much more equal uh, way of of living. Uh, compared to men uh, in the Viking Age than in later areas, like like later times, like in in the medieval time, um, we ha- we know uh, from written sources and from objects uh, that that could be quite powerful, mighty women. Being when when the men went away on on Viking, uh, they were the rulers of of the farms and the big big uh, farms and uh, they could inherit things, they could divorce they could um, live quite freely actually. Yeah well, when you talk about the people that were unfree, what would make someone unfree? Lord? That could be of, of different reasons. One could be that you were born unfree from unfree parents at a farm but uh, then you could have quite a good life even though you couldn't decide over your own life but you could also be unfree because you were taken uh, in in war or in in a raid somewhere and and bought or taken back to be sold and and used as as labor in different ways and and so mm. so even among the the unfree it was quite uh, uneven. Okay, uh, you mentioned written sources before. Did the Vikings leave behind much of a written record? I mean, I know there are rune stones and so forth. Do we have the equivalent of letters, diaries, any documents about daily life? No, there are. Uh, quite few written sources actually from that time you're right it is the rune stones <clears throat> there are also some uh, foreign travelers and merchants uh, in in other parts of the world that has written about the vikings meeting the vikings but otherwise there are the uh, icelandic sagas and tales written down a couple of hundred years after Viking Age, so it's not first-hand information, but uh, there are so many written sources telling source, sources telling the same story, so that we think that even if it is not a documentary, um, we can we can pick out some uh, facts from it. And but the, the most important thing is to to take that and compare it with the archaeological finds and, and see if they 
support each other and and stories about the Vikings. So the archaeological material is is I would say the most important source. Mm. Do you have a favorite part of the exhibition? Oh, I, I I don't <laughs> like that question because it's so hard it's, to say one specific. I think that the um I, I, I think and I hope that the exhibition will get um, give you a chance to get closer to the feeling of how it could be to be a, a human being at that time and how to live in that time and, and also to realize that there are uh, lots of differences, of course, and you would feel it, it would be very strange to some, sort of jump into that time. But there are also sp- many things that, that you would understand and see mm-hmm. that we are human beings and we think alike and you would recognize a lot of things too and know how to, to behave and to be there. So getting close to people, I think that is um, intriguing. And of course, there are a lot of fantastic objects. Mm. And uh, you have a Viking longboat on display as well. I mean, you're talking about people who are tremendous travellers. What is their boat like? Well, we don't have exactly a longboat. We have a boat and and it is a boat, not a ship. And a boat is smaller than a ship. And, and they, as you say, they were very skilled boat builders, sailors, navigators. And the thing that made, one of the things that made the, the Vikings able to do these long trips, what they they became, they, they started to use the sail in a much more efficient way than before. And they were very, they, they learned how to navigate and how to remember ways over sea and so on, how to, to read nature and so on, so that they could go, go back to, from, I mean, from Norway to Iceland mm-hmm. and do that again, mm. because they know how to. And, and the boats were, I mean, most of the boats were used along the coasts for more as for, for trading in, in the near area and so on and then you have the warships huge ships over 100 feet long and you have the the long boats uh, also for for uh, trading on on long distances but going uh, for example eastwards over the baltic sea and and to russia and and down to to istanbul you had to use the rivers and sometimes cross waterfalls and things like that so the boats could not be too big then so that you could take them uh, over land and so Mm. Okay, and just finally, what um, influence is there on modern Scandinavian society from this culture? Are there still sort of traces within the society of that um, society? I could talk a lot about that, but (laughs) but one of the most obvious things is is the days of the names, for example. Uh, uh, Wednesday is Woden or Odin. It's Unstag in Swedish, which is really Odin, and you have Thorsday. Thursday yeah. uh, and Friday, uh, Frey or Frigga. So, so there are lots of, of traces like that. Thursday, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The exhibition is opening on uh, Friday. It's entitled Vikings Beyond the Legend. We've been talking to curator and project manager Lena Hale. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.